looking at a remarkable idea. An idea that has intrigued and attracted and literally thrilled thousands upon thousands of men, women, and children. And you, my friends, are about to witness this idea become a reality. For this is the story of the miracle sea in the desert. And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I'm a mere figment of your imagination. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First-time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a different kind of show, a place where you don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Live and direct right now on the TuneIn radio app. Search End of Days or go to michaeldeacon.com if you care to interact with me or other listeners. My guest today is Benjamin E. Zeller. Benjamin is a researcher and teacher of religion in America. He focuses on religious currents that are new or alternative, including new religions, the religious engagement with science, and the quasi-religious relationship people have with food. Zeller serves as assistant professor of religion at Lake Forest College, a private liberal arts college in suburban Chicago. He is the author of several books, such as Prophets and Protons, New Religious Movements and Science in Late 20th Century America, and of course, Heaven's Gate, America's UFO Religion. Once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a very special edition of End of Days, the Michael Deacon Program. In a moment, we will embark on a journey back to the year 1997. Mars, NASA, Pathfinder lands. Princess Diana dies. Timothy McVeigh is found guilty of bombing the Oklahoma City Federal Building. And that leads us to one incident that has stuck around in ufology since. That, of course, is Heaven's Gate. In a moment, Benjamin Ziller will take us on this ride. And, Benjamin, are you alive? I am live, and I am here. Perfect. How are you? I'm doing pretty well here. Pretty well. Nursing a cough, so if I cough, your listeners are going to have to forgive me. I think they could do that. They'll forgive you. All right. Perfect. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Yes, Benjamin, and welcome, of course, to this program. I've been looking forward to talking to you for a very long time now. Well, I hope it's worth it. Oh, wait, I'm sure it will be. I had randomly come across uh, your book while looking for more material on uh, the cult Heaven's Gate. Mm -hmm. That's how I found you. And yeah, well, my book is one of the few published uh, on the group, so uh, it makes sense. That's how you stumbled across it. For sure. And you've done some amazing work. You've covered all sorts of angles on this, Ben. Thanks. Uh, it's It was a, a very long project to develop. You know, it, um, it's been over 20 years now since the suicides, and the book came out a few years ago, but really I spent the entire time researching and, and writing. Uh, I spoke with a number of ex-members, uh, family members, uh, looked at all the archival materials I could find, uh, 
uh, materials from the government, which I had um, requested under uh, Freedom of Information Act requests, uh, the archival footage from um, uh, both produced within the group and that the group had um, had released uh, audio tapes, videotapes. Uh, so it, it was um, it was a, a lot of work, decades of work. Oh yes, again, you've done the most extensive research I've I've seen anyone else do in a long time. Thank you. It's uh, it's it, it was a lot. I um, I thought it was important to tell the story right, and this is a story about people who chose to end their uh, their terrestrial human lives as we would know them. Uh, and uh, regardless of what you believe or where you stand on that. I think that means the story has such import that it, it just needs to be told. It needs to be told right. Correct. And, of course, I remember this growing up. I I myself am here in California, so I recall very clearly about that day. Plastered all over the news. <clears throat> all over, yeah. You couldn't miss it. You really couldn't. But before we jump into things, Ben, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you found yourself involved in um this case. Sure, absolutely. So, uh, I'll step you back in time, uh, to 1997, uh, when, um, I was actually a college student. I was, uh, I had gone to college to study computer science, but I found myself fascinated by comparative religion. And I was taking a course on, uh, ancient, uh, uh, millennialism and messianism. So millennialism, you know, and ideas of the end of the world, and messianism ideas about uh, saviors. We were looking at, uh, you know, ancient Near Eastern sources and medieval sources and the, um, and this was March uh, 1997. And then when the Heaven's Gate suicides occurred, uh, I said to my instructor, I said, I would love to look at this contemporary group, which seems to have the same millennialism, the same messianism we've been studying in ancient religions. And the, the professor, who was a, a lovely, um, a kind person, he was he was a Jesuit. He was an old Jesuit. And he said, well, I don't know anything about this, but if you want to study it, go ahead. Uh, and, and that kindness really um, that was what led me down the road uh, because – I was fascinated by the group, and and when the when the news coverage came out, which as I'm sure you remember, the the news didn't know what to do with them. I mean, they seemed sort of Christian, they seemed sort of New Agey, they seemed sort of UFO oriented. Uh, they had a website, and you know, and this was you know, websites were new, internet was new, so no one quite knew how to understand the group, and I felt like the the, the general treatments just weren't sufficient. Uh, and, and that's really why I stuck with it and how I ended up studying uh, the group. Excellent. And before any of this occurred, did you have any interest at all in UFOs or extraterrestrials, the paranormal, anything of the fringe? I would say my primary interest before this was in science fiction. I always, I had always been a science fiction fan. Uh, I had never had any sort of paranormal experiences of my own, but I took seriously um, the, the idea that uh, that it was out there. Uh, you know, I'd never seen a, a UFO or a flying saucer of any sort, but I, um, uh, I very much, to, to, to borrow the phrase of, of um, uh, from the X Files, I wanted to believe. Uh, That's funny. Uh, X Files fan. I was gonna, uh, I was Trek. gonna, I was gonna <laughs> drop that trademark line on you during the yeah, interview. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. I beat you to it. I want to believe. And so it's. Um, you did. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, uh, and I had run across the group in passing actually on Usenet, which was an old uh, bulletin board system. Oh, I uh, remember. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they had posted wow. to a couple of uh, Star Trek groups, and um, so I, I had run across Heaven's Gate, uh, but uh, I, I had ignored it. It was irrelevant to the web uh, to the the Usenet groups I was looking at. Sure. But yeah, so that was my my entree into it was really through um, uh, through science fiction, uh, and you know I think like like most sci-fi fans, I'd like to think that I'm sort of open-minded, um, and that 
you know, I, I take seriously, uh, people who are considered fringe. I, I think that we're all fringe in our own way and I don't, um, I don't want to prejudge. Uh, so that's, that's really where I came into it from. Totally, totally. I could understand completely. I myself, uh, see that in the same regards and uh, I'm, I'm open-minded even though I've had several strange, strange encounters, I should say. Mm-hmm. But I, of course, like to keep a rational mind. Mm-hmm. So, um, quite skeptical, even though I, I've experienced all these things. I, I consider myself an agnostic atheist. So, uh, you know, one thing which is really interesting, people often misunderstand about, about cults or new religions, is we assume the people who are members are sort of these, these brainwashed idiots. They're different from the rest of us, or they're irrational. Every single ex-member I've, I've spoken with, and, and that includes people who are still believers, they left the group, but they still believe. Uh, and you can find these folks easily enough online. Um, they are rational people. They, they are, they are people who, uh, who are as smart and as rational and, and as clear-headed as you and I. Uh, and I think that we, it's too easy to dismiss people who have different beliefs and different part of different groups and say, well, they must be crazy. I, I, I think, I mean, that's circular reasoning. Just because you don't like the idea doesn't mean we can dismiss them as crazy. Exactly. Uh, and if you talk to them, often they're, they're more sane than the rest of us. <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to mention that this group wasn't exactly a group of people that lacked self-awareness or weren't intelligent whatsoever. These people were pretty level-headed. Oh, yeah, yeah. They had computer programmers. They had um, software engineers. Uh, they had folks who had been involved in real estate and business. Uh, it, and, and they also had folks who had been, you know, uh, uh, deep in the drug culture and were um, musicians and sort of dropped out. So, I mean, it was it was all all walks of life. Uh you know, from people with, uh, with advanced degrees to, to dropouts. Um, but you know, they were all looking for and took seriously claims about, about, about the beyond and about extraterrestrials. And they all looked to, to the heavens, the literal heavens for, for salvation. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, again, I don't think that's necessarily, uh, any weirder than the rest of the world's religions. I mean, no, it's not I my don't. place to defend them. I'm not trying to defend it, but right. I, I just want to point out that, most people who belong to, to major religions look to the heavens for salvation. I mean, this is this is not that unusual. I agree, and we'll talk about that further in a moment here. But before we do, are, are you religious at all, Ben? You know, I um, I I, I guess I never so, tried to answer. That yeah, where, where do you exactly stand? I'm very curious, since you know you're a very educated man. You've done research on all these all these uh, subjects here. I really am curious where you stand. I'm also a rationalist, I would say. Um, I think that in some ways I'm fortunate that uh, the tradition I was born into is one that suits me fine. Uh, I'm a member of, of the, the Jewish faith. Um, I should put, maybe put faith in quotes because uh, I'm part of the Reformed Jewish movement, which uh, really sees uh, religion as, as, as an ethical, moral, uh, and communal obligation and identity. Uh, so... Whether any of the, the the Bible is true or not, whether God is is real or not, whether any of the prophets were correct or not, is actually irrelevant to me. Uh, what's important to me about my religious identity is the community and, and the sort of the ethical guidelines, uh, the moral guidelines that I follow. Uh, so, in fact, I would say that I'm, um, <laughs> in in that way, I, I would see myself in line with sort of this tradition of of, of reason. Uh, I think this probably helped me as a scholar. Because ultimately, it doesn't matter to me whose beliefs are right or wrong. It wouldn't change what I do. Uh, and I think that allows me to feel very comfortable talking to people of all sorts of different faiths. Very nice. And, of course, during um, the classes you teach, do any of your students ever recognize your name or ask about Heaven's Gate? 
Yeah, every now and then. Very nice. Um, That's cool. Had a few across the uh, the podcast that I was associated with. So I'm sure your listeners probably, if, if they're into Heaven's Gate or into to culture, new religions, uh, we had um, uh, I participated in a podcast which uh, on Heaven's Gate. It was a ten part. We had Glenn Washington as our host, uh, and I was one of the um, consulting producers. Uh, and so I'm interviewed quite a bit in the podcast. So they've, they've often run across that. Uh, so, and, um, I've, I've written a few sort of, um, uh, commentaries that have been posted online here and there. So they weren't sometimes know me from there. Very cool. Now, yeah, it is sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Marshall. Uh, uh, yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about him. Of course, the, the whole cult was actually born in the seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, Marshall Herf Applewhite, he went by Herf among his friends. Uh, so born in 1932, and yeah, they started in the, um, in the 70s. So if you do the math, uh, he was, uh, he was already middle-aged. He was already in his 40s, uh, when, when the group started. Uh, and the co-founder was Bonnie Lou Nettles, uh, and she was born in 27. So she was actually even, even older, uh, when the group started. Uh, it started in Texas. Uh, they were both spiritual seekers. Uh, uh, what do you want to know about them? What can I tell you? I, I, I tell you, I've studied this group for 20 years, so I can be in I, know. I, don't, I don't want to bore you. <laughs> don't worry. I'm just completely fascinated by the whole case. Um, well, I mean, here's something interesting about him. So um, he's often been misread. So he was um, a sort of a semi-closeted bisexual. I was just about to ask you about that because I know he was fired from Houston, uh, the university over there in Texas, and um, it was over alleged uh, relationship with a student of his. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's actually there's different tellings of the story, but I think that one's probably the correct one. You think one. that's but, a fact? That, that's what I was going to. The fact that he was fired. It's the fact that he had a relationship with the students. Mm. Um, he was fired because it was a student, not because it was um, a homosexual relationship. Um, of course. And in fact, there were multiple students, and it it actually might have been a, a woman that he was dating at one point that actually got him fired. Oh. Um, the, the the underlying point is actually it wasn't so much his bisexuality which was a problem for him. It was his sexuality. Period. It was that he he felt confined by being a sexual being, and he felt as if all of his attempts at relationships on the human level with other human beings were complete failures. The bisexuality played into it only to the extent that he had a dating pool of the entire species, and he still failed. You know, unlike a heterosexual, you could say, well, I guess I only failed with, with half. Uh, he, he could date anyone. He could have a relationship with anyone, and he still failed. So for him, that was... Um, that was part of it. So I, I think we misread it when we say, oh, well, he was, he was, a, he was, you know, repressing his sexuality. He, he was angry with the sexuality, but it wasn't the bisexuality or the homosexuality. It was the fact that he just couldn't get relationships to work. And he longed for some way in which he could transcend his humanity, transcend his sexual nature, transcend everything of the human world. And that's what drives him to look to outer space. Right. What a, interesting individual he is yes he is i i've always thought what a strange but charismatic individual he must have been and speaking of which from the interviews you've done with several uh, members of heaven's gate that they ever tell you a little bit about marshall applewhite and his personality yes uh so most of the folks i've talked to uh found him to be sort of a, a kindly fatherly figure um some of the um the, the, the ex members who had joined early on when Bonnie Blue Nettles, the co founder, was still around. Right. They they had a much stronger relationship with her. Those who joined early tended to see her as much more important. 
Um, but, uh, since she died in 1985, uh, those who joined afterwards, you know, only knew him. Um, everyone found him charismatic. Uh, e- even those who joined early on. Um, yeah, that, that's what I get when I watch those crazy VHS videotapes of him. Yeah, you know, what's interesting to me is I, I've watched him so often, I, I don't see the charisma at all. You don't um, see it. He, I, I, he does actually. He is quite charismatic. Yeah. So part of what he has there is he has theatrical training. I mean, he has a master's degree in voice. He used to uh, uh, work musical theater. Yeah. He, he knows how to use his instrument, as as my colleagues in, in music would say. You know, so he knows how to uh, how to convey with the, with the pitch and emotion um, an idea. So certainly, I mean, that's uh, that's a learned trait. Um, I did run across an interview with this college roommate who said he was charismatic even even back then before he had training. So I think he also had an inborn. Yeah, training. you've got to be forget. born with that sort of charisma. Yeah, let's not forget his father was a was a preacher man, right? So oh, yeah. uh, he he grows up going to church, hearing his father preach. Uh, so in some ways, religion or preaching is is in his blood. Uh, he would have been very familiar with how to uh, how to use the Bible, how to use sort of religious material in order to try to reach people. Uh, so yeah, absolutely no, that's. Um, I, I also I've also spoken to um, uh, to people who didn't find him charismatic, and I came across a great interview from an ex-member who passed away. I couldn't talk to her, but she said that she blamed the whole thing on hypnosis. Um, oh, yes. That, and so and I, know, I know people who also make you know sort of metaphysical claims about him that he had sort of you know his vibrations were on a certain level. He could sort of look into your soul. Um, there's a, an ex-member who I've, I've spoken with, who I have a good working relationship with, who's told me that it's uh, the first time we met him. It was like. Um, it was like it was, he was looking through a tunnel directly at him and he felt this immediate spiritual connection. So, I mean, it, the, the, for many ex-members or members at the time, uh, that, that charisma was seen as, as not just something human, but as something, uh, as they would say, next level. Yeah, and that goes with the whole theme of next level, especially with their humor. And <laughs> oh, yeah. You would, you would have to have a sense of humor if you joined the cold, correct? Well, I mean, they had a, they had a particularly sort of, uh, unique sense of humor. It was, um, like any sort of in-group which had been together. Remember, they were 20 years uh, together by the time of the end. They had their own internal sense of humor. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they sort of, I mean, they made fun of themselves. Uh, the role of quarters at the, um, you know, with, with the suicides, that was an in joke. That was an inside joke. Uh, and there's, uh, there, there's that wonderful scene in, in the exit videos, um, and I don't, I don't mean to make light of this. The exit videos are suicide notes after all, but there's still That's all right. uh, a touching scene where uh, one of the members gives the Vulcan salute and says 39 to beam up. You know, a great Star Trek reference. Oh, yes. uh, and then that's, you know, I mean, that, that's the, the, the humor they had. Um, you, you know, that's, um, I, I've, I've known other monastic communities, you know, members of, of, of Catholic orders uh, who have sort of, you know, they have their own sense of humor. I, I, I've heard plenty of, you know, Monks or nuns or, or priests makes joke about, you know, jokes about, um, abstinence, you know, the fact that they're celibates. Um, next level so, humor. Yeah. Re- religious people tend, you gotta have a sense of humor. If you're going to join a group where you have to give up your humanity, <laughs> yeah. you gotta have a sense of humor. You right? got to, you got to. And I understand that, 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 uh, that humor, the next level humor, I seem to follow almost the same principle in regards to humor where it could be something very bad, but I'll still say it just to get a laugh. Yeah, yeah, it's nothing wrong with that. Not at all. I, I love that. Of course, going back to Marshall's upbringing, yeah, he really got into biblical prophecy, and that's kind of what started all of this. Yeah, yeah, he did. So uh, he became obsessed with with the Bible, obsessed with um, understanding um, himself in relationship to the Bible. Uh, and this was after uh, he met um, he met T or, or Nettles. Uh, so there's sort of different stories about how they met, uh, but they end up meeting 
1972. And she is a member of the, um, the Theosophical Society. So she has a lot of sort of um, background interest in alternative spiritualities, in, in Asian mysticism, um, in channeling, uh, in, in um, UFOs. Um, Nettles is also herself a channeler, so she can communicate with spirits. Uh, she communicates with spirits from outer space and also spirits of the dead. Uh, and she also performs astrology. So she brings all that to him, and he brings sort of this biblical background. And that's really where Heaven's Gate comes from. It comes from this fusing of sort of this biblical prophecy and the, the attempts to make, make sense of biblical prophecy and sort of these idea of sort of channeling um, next level space aliens or sort of um, uh, beings from, from the great beyond. Uh, so that, that's really where it comes from. Indeed. And my... Oh, Sam, and that's my reading as a scholar. I mean, a member would say it comes from the next level. It's, you know, it's, it's the truth. My, my reading as a scholar, I, my, I don't want to disparage or defend, but I mean, my reading as a scholar is that's, that's where it's coming from. Yeah, and I totally appreciate that. Again, Ben, you've done an amazing job. And going back to the year 1997, it was an exciting year for ufology. We've had the Phoenix Lights. We, that was the biggest UFO sighting. In mm-hmm. modern history, I'm not quite sure if you if you uh, um, remember any of that. Do you, Ben? I don't. I mean, I've run across the reference where I've talked to other folks who were interested in ufology. Um, I don't think I was. I, actually, I, I know I wasn't aware of them at the time, um, but I have had other folks tell me, "Oh, that's you know that how coincidental, or perhaps that was maybe not a coincidence um, that this was uh, uh, this was perhaps linked in some way." Yes, and of course, then there was the Hellbop Comet, yeah, which was also going on around the time. And oddly enough, 13 days after the Phoenix Lights incident, that's when the incident with the Heaven's Gate cult went down and made yeah. international headlines. Yes, it did. Uh, you know, and the buildup was directly linked to Hellbop, uh, as as your listeners probably remember if they were paying attention at the time. I mean, there were all the... Um, um, Claims that uh, there was potentially a, um, a UFO trailing Hellbop, a companion it was sometimes called. Uh, there were different claims and there were, um, there was different evidence offered, but I mean, the, the story's been told before with the, with the Art Bell show, um, you know, in the way in which. Yeah, um, and Courtney Brown, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Courtney Brown from the Farside Institute. Yeah, good memory. Um, yeah, so what, what his group was doing, um, was uh, basically sort of an astral projection, uh, sort of um, remote viewing. Um, and you know, different stories were coming out. And, and members of Heaven's Gate never said it was one thing or another, but they said that um, they believed there was a companion following Hellbop. And even if there wasn't, this was the marker they were waiting for. It's where everyone was paying attention. Um, they saw what they were doing as a demonstration for humanity. Uh, so even if the UFO was not actually physically behind Hellbop, but it was somewhere else, and they believed it was up there. So even if that was not the precise physical location, everyone was paying attention to Hellbop. Everyone's eyes were on the heavens. And that was, they thought, that that was their, their signal that it was time to go. What an amazing sight it was, even though it was a tragedy. But seeing all those bodies and the iconic Nike decades on their yeah. feet yeah. It was incredible to see. I mean, what, what kind of um, – well, I shouldn't say that. But I will say it doesn't get any better in terms of advertising. Um I know that's awful to say, and Nike went and pulled those shoes off the shelf right away, but you, you can't ask for better publicity than that. 
Just do it, huh? Just, um, just do it, exactly. I mean, so that was, I mean, the irony is that the members of Heaven's Gate really did see themselves as advertising, um, the last chance for humans to evacuate Earth. I mean, they have a, that's one of the titles of one of their, one of their videos, which they sent around for free, and you could find the, even today, the transcript. Earth about to be recycled. Um, you got it, last chance to evacuate. Um, so they saw what they were doing, yes, as very theatrical. Uh, and as a performance, uh, the term they used very early on, uh, back in the seventies was demonstration, that they were going to have a demonstration. And their idea of that changed over time. But, but the, the idea that they would demonstrate to humanity that, that we are not human, that ultimately our consciousnesses can transcend the human level and journey on to the next level, to outer space. That's what they really thought they were demonstrating. And oh yeah, I think they were, they were laughing all the way about the sort of just do it Nike slogans. Um, so they, um, I think they got that joke and they, but, and they also set the entire thing up, um, to get our attention. I mean, it, what's often forgotten is this was choreographed. They were FedExing videotapes and, and, um, uh, discs with, with update instructions for their website to ex members time to arrive the day of the suicides. I mean, they were, this was a well orchestrated, event it really was and after all this talk it still does not in the slightest hinder my interest in buying a pair of nike decades you know someone uh forwarded me an ebay link um a couple of months ago three thousand three thousand six hundred and sixty dollars yeah. right yeah um oh my god i you know i i don't know if i would ever drop that kind of money on shoes but <laughs> god damn do i ever want a pair if you ever get one, send me a picture. At some point, when I when I do a new edition of the book, I'd love to put a close-up picture of one in there. I, I couldn't find anyone with copies, and Nike wasn't that interested in talking with me. Oh, that's that's too bad. You know, if they were smart, they would bring it back. Yeah, they probably. I, it's probably been it's been fun. long enough, Ben. I, I think we've gone over the the mass suicide. Even though uh, today suicide seems to be uh, more popular than ever, it, it's it's made a return. Yeah, and and to, and to make it really clear. They did not see what they were doing as suicides. They called them exits. And even now, so I, I know pretty well the uh, the two individuals who run the, um, the HeavensGate.com website, which is still up there. Yeah. They even now get emails from people saying, I want to commit suicide. And, and <laughs> oh what they God. respond is, is by saying this was not suicide. Uh, these, these members of, of HeavensGate did not commit suicide. They exited. Uh, and their beliefs were that they were they were doing this with the clear reason to try to get their consciousnesses, their 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 entities, their selves – from this level, this body to another body. Um, and they didn't see it as suicide. Um, you know, from a religious studies perspective, you know, I'm trained as an historian of religion. Um, the closest comparison is probably early Christian martyrdoms. You know, those stories about the Christians who would, you know, willingly throw themselves before the lions in front of the Romans and such. Right. The idea is that you're, you're not doing it because you hate your life or you're giving up on this life or that, you know, you're, you're feeling inconsolable or you're not doing it because of mental health issues. You're doing it because it is, a, it's almost a transactional thing. You're doing it to get something else. Um, and I think that makes it, that makes it different from, from most other forms of suicide. Uh, at least in my reading of it. Yeah. Let, let's get into a little bit of that. Um, there, there's been plenty of these radical cult groups like the Order of the Solar Temple and yes. the, the Unification Church, mm-hmm. Harry Krishna. I mean, the list goes on. And what exactly made you choose Heaven's Gate again? If, if, if you already addressed that, I'm sorry. Well, no, that's fine. In fact, I've studied a lot of these groups. Um, and I think what kept bringing me back to Heaven's Gate was that, uh, 
was that they believed so strongly in what they were doing, they were willing to take the ultimate step. And I just didn't feel as if the story had been properly told. Um, you know, I, I've, I've said this before in another interview, so if, if, if there's any sort of fans who keep following my interviews, they've heard this before. <laughs> I don't know any. Um, but um, if you're familiar with um, Orson Scott Card, the science fiction novelist, he has a, um, a book called Speaker for the Dead. Uh, it's the sequel to Ender's Game, for those who might, might have heard of that. And the Speaker for the Dead is a person whose job it is is to do just what it says, to... Um, to provide the context and the story for those who've moved beyond and can no longer do it themselves. And in some ways, I see myself as the speaker for the dead, for, for the Heaven's Gate members. And again, my job is not to defend it. Uh, my job is not to defend or support suicide. And I don't believe what they believed. And I, I, when push comes to shove, we don't have the same beliefs. But that doesn't mean that I can't try to tell their story as truthfully as I can, correct. And as empathetically as I can, trying to understand what it meant to them. And that's what drove me. Um, and it's not that we don't need to do that for other, other culture, new religions too. I know plenty of members of, of many of those other groups. Uh, I know plenty of, of Moni's members of the Unification Church, members of the Hare Krishna movement. Um, but they're alive and they can, they can defend their group. They can explain the group. They can, um, uh, they, they can talk about it. I, I take students to the Hare Krishnas all the time, and they, they talk to Hare Krishnas. They learn what it's about. Heaven's Gate members can't do that. So, I mean, there are a few ex-members, but um, the, those who died can't. So that's what drove me as a scholar. I think that ultimately, you know, I, yeah, I write academic articles, and, you know, I publish them, and, and you can download them, and maybe a few other scholars will cite me, and that's important. But ultimately, I also see what I do as, as, a, as a public intellectual in order to try to explain this. In in a hundred years, people are still going to know about Heaven's Gate. It's oh, going to be yeah. part of the historical record, oh, and yes. I, I want people to understand. Yes, the whole Heaven's Gate that that's going to be embedded in ufology for the rest of time. Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, I, I and for me, the, the the subject of UFOs is one that I can't get away from here on this program. I want to believe, Ben. I'm with you. I'm so. with you. You know, it's um, yeah, without a doubt. Uh, I'm actually I'll. I'll uh, I just agreed to edit a, um, an anthology for academics on, on UFO religions. And nice. when I agreed to do this, uh, well, maybe I'll find a couple, you know, five or six people who are writing it. And I started emailing around with friends. And I think I have about you know, almost two dozen people who are, who are doing some sort of research on these are, these are religious study scholars on, on religion and UFOs. And that's just the religion angle. There's all sorts of other people. There's anthropologists. There's, um, bioethicists. I mean, there's all sorts of people who look at UFOs. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, um, I think the, it is irrational to claim we're the only life in the universe. Agreed. And it's just about the, the hubris involved to claim that in, in in the millions, billions, trillions of planets out there, we're the only intelligent life. I mean, it's nonsensical. Um, and and therefore, I mean, to claim that that other intelligent life has visited us in the past or might in the future or is right now. Is, I don't think that's an irrational claim to make. I don't have any evidence of it. I've never, I've never have a sighting. I, I, but I don't think it's a crazy claim to make. Um, and so that's why I take it seriously. I mean, it's, I'm not, I, you know, I'm agnostic about the phenomenon. I've never, I've never seen the UFO, so I can't tell you if they're real or not. But if someone says they're real, I'll take them seriously that they believe that's real. And one second, going back to Heaven's Gate, for those who yeah. were curious. Yeah, I wander, so feel free to bring me back when I wander off. I know. I should have brought this up earlier, but I wanted to address this really quickly. Um, for those who were wondering about drug use, uh, hmm. when the cops went and examined and investigated, they found no drugs, by the way. 
Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, the, um, the, the, um, they had used barbiturates uh, as part of the suicide. So the only drugs that were found were in the autopsies. Correct. But yeah. what I meant was there wasn't any, you know, any other extra drugs laying around that could have contributed Absolutely. to anything. Yeah. Well, one of the rules in Heaven's Gate, even when it began back in the 70s, was you couldn't use uh, drugs or alcohol. Uh, you couldn't have sex. You couldn't uh, have uh, sort of anything on, on the human level that would sort of that was embodied in that way. They wanted to move beyond the human body. So any sort of bodily thing uh, they, they they discouraged. Uh, so they lived a very Spartan, very puritanical lifestyle. I mean, they they worked and they studied and they, they meditated and they tried to sort of separate themselves from their their humanity. Um, but yeah, it, it, there early on there were there were people who came out of the drug culture. Um, but by and large, there were people who were leaving the drug culture because they were looking for some, you know, a, a better high. Um, right, right. And seven members actually were castrated. Yes. Voluntarily. Yeah. Voluntarily, correct. Yeah. So they really were separating themselves from humanity. Oh, yeah. They were really going next level. Uh, well, maybe, that, that may be a little yeah. too far. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, there are other examples, too, in, in, in the history of religion of, of you know, eunuchs for God is, is the, the term sometimes used. Um, there are some, um, uh, Catholic saints, a few of them that, that had, um, uh, been castrated, um, in an attempt to sort of separate themselves from, from the earthly and, and cleave to the heavenly. Uh, so it's, again, I don't want to defend it, but I, I just, I, I pointed out that they're not alone. No doubt. No doubt. And going back to religion and UFOs, uh, Ben, you know, I've, I've interviewed countless men and women who claim to be contactees. And yeah. they all share the same sort of story where they have contact with, with these alleged beings from the sky. And it, it, the message becomes heavily rooted in Eastern philosophy and religion. Mm-hmm. I always found that quite interesting. Why do you think that is? Well, some, sometimes it's rooted in Western philosophy and religion, particularly if you get the more sort of millennial sort of, um, you know, apocalyptic uh, perspectives. But, um, I mean, I think there's two ways to answer that. One is if you're a believer, you say, well, that, that's what the, the aliens believe. So that's what they're, what they're offering. Um, the other is to say that, and here I'm, I'm going to sound a bit like Carl Jung, I suppose. That, that's okay. Um, he had a our, great quote, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our, um, our, our visions of, of the, the extraterrestrial are akin to the, the, the visions of the angelic from, from time immemorial. And that, I mean, his phrasing was that UFOs and flying saucers are the modern day equivalent. Um, right. Uh, the modern myth. Um, I hate that myth in sort of not the sense of disparaging it. Um, but I mean, from a certain perspective, then the contactees are representing what is spiritually central to them and spiritually central to the moment, uh, which is very much sort of Eastern philosophy. Um, you don't find a lot of people who had never been exposed to any of that who claim that's what the, the aliens brought them. Um, so for example, if you look, at contactees uh, very early on, you know, like post um, post Roswell, um, post um, post the Arnold sightings, um, you see a lot more interest in nuclear technology and the Cold War and very sort of Christian sounding sort of apocalyptic fears. Uh, and then sort of starting in in the 60s, I think you get a real switch to much more sort of Asian oriented. Uh, and I think that tracks with sort of the broader counterculture and sort of spiritual occurrence uh, at the time. And again, this isn't, I don't mean to disparage it and say, well, they're all making it up. I don't think they're making it up in some sort of sense where, you know, they're, they're going to trend to bilk us. I think though that 
we have to understand contactees and sort of their spiritual and religious claims within their cultural contexts. Agreed. And of course, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, like our friend Carl Sagan always said. Yeah, he did. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, I mean, so Sagan's, Sagan's always been sort of a hero of mine. And I realized that, that many in, in the paranormal community consider him uh, anathema because some he was them, sort of the arch. Some yeah, of them but, does dislike him completely, but he's always been someone that yeah. I admired since, um, since I was like in seventh grade. Me too. Me too. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you why, but I'm curious what, what, what you do. But you know, for me, um, he was ultimately the person who's, when push came to shove, it was clear where he stood. And he stood on sort of the side of reason. Whether you agreed with it or not, he had a very clear cut, clear cut set of sort of assumptions and, and, and ways of making sense of the world around him. And he was honest to that. But he was also, I think, um, open to human beings who disagreed with him. Um, so I mean, he might disagree with you as, with your ideas, but he wouldn't disagree with you as a person. Uh, so I think there was a real humanity to him. And I think you see that in, in the old Cosmos series and things like that. Sort of this, this wonder, this awe. Um, but, um, yeah, but I, I realize that for many, many of the paranormal community, he's often seen as sort of, you know, an arch nemesis. But I'm curious, what, what do you think about Sagan? I've always liked him. And when I was perhaps, how old was I? I must have been 13 years old and I was in science class and, the teacher, she would occasionally put on some of his videos, and I always thought he was the smartest man I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, yeah. That's the way I've always envisioned um, Carl Sagan, and as silly as it sounds, sometimes I've thought to myself, what would Carl Sagan think of any of this? Well, I mean, I um, yeah, it's pretty clear that he was both, he, as you said, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. I think he was very, very critical. He was ultimately a skeptic. On the other hand, let's not forget the um the golden phonograph right so let's not forget that when it came time to send the voyager probes out into the universe correct no good scientific reason whatsoever he wanted to put on there a record of us yeah, yeah. there was a humanism to him right i mean there's there's nothing scientific about that and and, and other other scientists criticized it and said well what, what a waste of weight you know everything we send up there is going to cost you know cost us money equipment we can't include but Ultimately, that 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 desire to include a record of us as a species of our planet speaks to, I think, his humanity. And that I think those are the stories which I want to tell in my studies of of anything really. And I think, speaking as a scholar, those are the stories that all of us involved in scholarship and research need to tell the stories of humanity, of of the way in which uh, we're all just doing our best, or at least most of us are. We really are, and. Uh... In the wake of all these recent suicides that we see today in the news, what exactly do you make of any of this, Ben? Oh, you mean like you know, Tony Bourdain and things like that? So yeah, sad. it is really sad. Appar- yeah, apparently, it was over a woman that was cheating on him, allegedly. Oh, I hadn't even seen that. Um, you know, I know he had, he had in, in other interviews going years back, he had been struggling with sort of uh, depression and with sort of you know himself. Um, right. In his his yeah, I, I think that. Part of this is this this modern condition we live in. It's so fragmented. You know, what's really interesting to me about Heaven's Gate is when they started in the 70s, it was pre-internet. Uh, it was pre-globalism. Uh, I mean, I mean there, there was, you know, the global connections, but it wasn't like you could hop on to a computer and, and connect easily to someone halfway around the world. True. It, communities were much more uh, close, close by. And you see people who are interested in ufology or alternative spirituality, 
joined Heaven's Gate because they were looking for something and they had been looking for years and couldn't find anything. And then this group comes through town and they say, hey, that's it. I'm going to join. And there's this longing for community. And ironically, today, it's easy to find community online. I think there's many fewer new religions or cults being formed now because no matter what you're interested in, type it into Google and you could find it. You're into, you know, Venetian um, telepathy, type it in, you'll find some. Yeah, in there's no shortage. And crystals and chakras, but, you know, you also want to have something from indigenous Tasmanian religion. I'm sure you can find it. I'm just making stuff up, but I'm sure it's out there. You know, in the 70s, you know, you had to find a group. Um so ironically, you can find anything you want now, but it's so disconnected. Are you ever going to see another human being in the flesh who's who's part of the same community you are? And I just think that we as a species have gotten um, have gotten away from the way that for thousands of years we've lived. And I think there, there's a delay, right? I mean, we've our technology has advanced beyond our our genetics, right? Correct. And you're preaching to the choir. I yeah, and I know there's lots of from futurists who talked about this. I mean, this is the whole, I mean, we've been wrestling with this since, you know, the industrial age. It's not like these are new questions, but I mean, I mean, Henry David Thoreau, I mean, he went out and he wrote about, you know, the train, you know, the automobile and the, I'm sorry, the train for him and the, um, and then the stopwatch were the end of the world. Then when the automobile came out, people said the same thing. Oh, we're going to, we're all going to fall apart. So, I mean, I, I don't think we're any different, but, uh, I do think that with the advent of internet technology, that, that things changed. I, I agree. And speaking of the internet and Heaven's Gate, their website, of course, is still functioning. Yeah, and sure. apparently there's two members that, that run the website still, correct? Correct. Yeah. My goodness. It's like a time warp once you go to that website. Yeah. Well, they've left it explicitly as it, clearly as it is based on the instructions. Uh, so they were ex members and, um, they were asked by, uh, the, by the members of Heaven's Gate, uh, to maintain the website, uh, as it was, uh, and, they have done so. Uh, they answer emails. Uh, and as I said, they, they get many emails and they, they discourage suicide and they, they say there's no group to join, that they're keeping this up as a, as a testimonial. Uh, they've been, they've been interviewed and they've been, they've been outed. You can, you can find it online, but, um, I, I, I will respect their privacy and not say much more about them though. Yeah. Understood. And of course, we've seen all these other kinds of cults that arise, like the Church of Scientology. Um, have you ever done any extensive research on, on those, on those boys and girls out there? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've not done extensive research. I've visited, um, uh, Church of Scientology centers. Uh, I know some Scientologists. I've toured their, uh, I've toured their, um, a couple of their regional headquarters. I guess it was the DC one I went to most recently. Um, you know, I think that, uh, there, there's, there's a lot written on them. I'm not a scholar of Scientology. Uh, my, my friend Hugh Urban has a great book on them. Um, the closest I've gotten to it is I did do a, a sort of a review of the um, that HBO um, a Going Clear documentary, which came out. It was based on the um, on the book, um, and uh, I think that uh, the, I mean there wasn't a whole lot new in the documentary that that we didn't know about Scientology already, but the, the visuals were very very powerful. Uh, I also know, and this is really interesting, that as soon as that documentary came out, there was some sort of deranged person who attacked a Scientology center, drove <laughs> um, um, a car into the front of the building. Wow! Uh, and, it, and it, there was some, and there was a preschool nearby or something. So I mean, it's uh, I, again, to me, and I, again, I'm not a Scientologist. I don't want to defend them. I don't. It's, it's not my place to stand up for them or to attack them. But it, it does point out sort of the way in which there are real life repercussions to this. Um, and, and to, to any study of new and alternative religions. Um, you know, I, I'm a big supporter of the idea of sort of freedom of religion and spirituality. 
Uh, I think that people should be free to do what, what they want. I also think, though, that um, uh, that we have to uh, uh, balance that with, uh, you know, the limits of living in a, in a civilized society. You know, if your religion says you you have the right to blow up buildings, obviously you don't you don't get to do that, no matter what you believe. Um, but yes, <laughs> yes. it's a fascinating group. I haven't studied it very extensively, it's, other than you know having met a few Scientologists and I've read some of their stuff. And I'm seeing that article now, Texas woman crashes into evil Scientology church. And I quote, I wouldn't walk into that church. I would drive into it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's fired up. Yes, yeah, she was. She was. <laughs> um, well, you know, and so, so here's a group if, of all the new religions out there. I guess Scientology is the one that it's okay to hate on. Well, uh, there, well, I, I have to cut you off there. I had a friend who actually, Join the black Hebrew Israelites and my God, that, that was truly something else. I had a friend who was extremely intelligent, but well, he had a couple of, um, I guess, I guess you could say he had a few old habits he couldn't get rid of. He was heavily into psychedelics. Uh, he was really yeah. into magic mushrooms and for a while. <laughs> This guy was one of the smartest people you would ever be around. And then one day he got ultra religious. He was stuck in Christianity. And then one day he's talking to me about being a black <laughs> Hebrew Israelite. And I thought, what the hell just happened to you? Mm. Yeah. Um, well, and I would say, and I would finish my sentence, but although we, we hit on people hit on Scientology, I know plenty of very sincere Scientologists. So I don't, um, so your friend, I don't know your friend, um, it was your friend sincere in his religious uh, conversion? I thought he was when he was into his Christianity thing. I thought he was being genuine then, um, but somehow he got mixed up with the with this group here. And I'm not sure if you've ever seen footage of them in New York, but they're a happy group. Yeah, I know the group in Philadelphia. I don't know if it's the same the same group, but I, I know the Philadelphia one. Um, yeah. I, Ultimately, I mean, so there's different models for the study of new religions. Some of them are very much centered on, on the groups themselves. Others are very much centered on sort of the, the individuals who join them. Um, you know, so you can always go about it two ways. Is there something that that group was offering, some particular thing they were doing that was pulling people in? Or was there something about your friend that drove him to not feel comfortable in when in where he was and look for something else? It's probably a bit of both, to be honest. I think it was something like that. He wanted a sense of belonging a sense of purpose and i think that's kind of human nature that's probably why we see so many people get involved in groups like this and um benjamin i'm just going to throw this out randomly at you as of the last 10 years or so i honestly feel compelled to feel that politics now is almost new religion for some folks out there yeah i think it is uh, i would agree with that i, I see that a, correlation yeah. don't you it's almost like yeah. Some of these people can't even watch a movie without having some sort of political ideology ruin it for everyone else. And you know, a particular element which has linked them and which I think has made this even more intense is the advent and rise of conspiratorial claims within politics. That too. Uh, that too. Because that links not, that links politics to much bigger issues. It's one thing to say, my opponent is a moron and his or her economic policies will cause us to have stagnation. And, you know, that, that's one thing to say. That's another thing to say. My opponent is in league with evil forces who are trying to destroy your life. Uh, and there's an elaborate conspiracy, which, you know, which is just underneath the surface. You call it whatever you want, a deep state. I mean, if the left or the right, they have different terms for it. It's the same idea that there's this, you know, either it's the bankers or the Illuminati or, or, or George Soros or someone else is out there to get you. And that begins to sound like the sort of 
grand sort of uh, deep claims that you find in religions, right? Exactly. You see that. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, no, it's it, fascinating, yeah, right? Yeah. It truly is. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Yeah, I, I can't believe it, to be honest with you. And I like politics and I like conspiracies, but never do I go on and say that it's a fact. Yeah, so I, I think that, that part of it is also a hardening where it's become uh, it's become more acceptable to not disagree with someone, but to hate them and to consider their ideology to be to be evil. Um, and again, it, it's not that uh, this hasn't always been the case. I mean, there have been evil ideologies. That's true. Uh, everyone, I think everyone can agree that Nazis were evil, right? So, I mean, there's right. Uh, we'll put that at one extreme. Um, it's just that the line of evil ideology was pretty far over. And I think that it shifted quite a bit. So now even those who, uh, who, who's, whose political beliefs are slightly different from yours have become evil. Part of a grand conspiracy, part of sort of, you know, this, this, uh, this group hell bent on destroying society as we know it. Um, and it's become okay to dismiss those who you disagree with as crazy and deluded uh, or as evil. And I think that's a big difference because it's one thing to say I disagree with that person. It's another to say they're a sheeple or they're evil or they're uh, – take your pick, uh, libtard or republic pig, whatever, you know, whatever they be. <laughs> yes. You know, so I, I, I try to tune it out, you know, particularly because I'm, I'm a teacher. Ultimately. I'm a professor, right? So I, I realize the students in my classroom – are politically divergent. So I, I try not to get too involved in thinking even about politics because I want to see all of my students on the same level, but it is so easy. It's a slippery slope. You really, it's really difficult to talk uh, religion yeah. and politics to someone, I guess you could say that doesn't have the most knowledge in that field, probably has not researched too extensively. And that that's a large percentage of this uh, country here. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of are a, a country of, um, ADD riddled, I guess you could say drone bots in a way. Um, I'm sure plenty of your students are on Adderall. Um, yeah, well, I, I couldn't make any claim about that. But, sure, uh, sure. I can tell you though that, um, one of my most popular courses is an American religious history course where we look at the deep connections between religion and, and American history and politics and the way in which uh, they have been intricately connected from from the beginnings. Uh, and that when when students are exposed to this and they learn about it, when the broader public is exposed to this and learns about it, um, they see these connections, which have been there for a long time. That's good that they do see these connections because it, it's become more apparent once you look back in the last 10 years. It's yeah. proof is in the pudding. And before yeah. we wrap up, and we move on to your other book, Religion, Food, and Eating in North America. Yeah. Uh, l- let's wrap up here with Heaven's Gate. What sure. do you believe was the most important thing you could learn from this cult? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think like everyone else, when I went into it, I assumed these people were, were going to be weird. Um, you know, I, I went into it thinking that I have to understand them, that, that I want to take them seriously, but I think, I think I assumed they would be odd. Uh, when I actually met ex-members, uh, and of course I started studying it after, after the suicide, so I could only meet ex-members. Um, they were normal. These, these were people who reminded me of myself and my friends and my family. I mean, these were, these were people who, who watched some of the same movies I did. Uh, these were people who had lived in some of the places that my, my friends or family had lived. These are, these were, these were human beings. And I think that it is so easy to say, pick a group you don't like, 
Scientology, Heaven's Gate, Moonies, whatever you don't like, and say, oh, you know, what what a bunch of idiots, what a bunch of brainwashed fools. It's a lot tougher to think, well, you know what, they're like me in some way, and that's really uncomfortable, but I think we have to deal with that. We are all one universally. Mm. And moving on to religion, food, and eating here. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that. What fascinated you enough to write about this interesting topic? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I got into that uh, when I was – it was many years ago, and I was um, I was teaching a class, comparative religions class, and um, you know, it's always I'm always wary to do comparative religions because you end up comparing. You have to be so careful if you think about the concept like soul. So if I'm going to compare how different religions think about the soul, well, the soul is, is a Christian term, so everything's going to end up sort of being compared against Christianity. Uh, so I was going to teach a comparative religion class, and I had to think of something that really everyone does so i wasn't just comparing it to one religion and eating was what i came up with uh, and also i love to eat i love food so so i focused a course oh, on very good um, very good what exactly is your favorite meal oh i think sushi probably sushi okay okay um so i um yeah so i i went out a course on on religion and, and, and food we looked at you know how different religions uh talk about food and food laws and food practices and holidays and food and fasting and and, and whether you can and can't have alcohol all sorts of rules and all sorts of traditions and all sorts of religions um and i there really wasn't a good textbook so i ended up getting together with some colleagues and we ended up writing our own book about it and um i'm actually it's another book i'm working on now on on, on religion and food um it's just a fascinating t- Topic again because everyone eats and every religion has teachings about about food. Uh, in some religions, the food teachings are um, <coughs> are very limited, and others they're very expansive. Um, but it's something which which they all have, and so that's that's something that interests me because it is a true way to compare multiple religious traditions. Yes, indeed. And which food do you dislike? That, that's what, I think I should have asked that question first. What do I dislike? Um, boy. Um, which religious um, meal do you dislike? I should have asked that. Well, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll try almost anything once, even things which smell really quite nasty. Uh, I've tried a number of – I mean, I, I generally like fermented foods. But you're there are a brave, some famous you're foods. brave man, Ben. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, never, I've never, never tried lutefisk. I think I would give it a shot, I suppose, once, but I, I suspect I wouldn't like it. Um, you know, the, I'm trying to think of foods I don't like. I was, um, at, I was at some conference not long – well, it's been over a year now – at the Conscious Life Expo, and they had some food. It must have been, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but it was some Middle Eastern type um, mm-hmm. dish, and, oh, it was not good. The, you know, the smell was awful. I hear Dorian fruit is the grossest food imaginable. My uh, my brother had some, um, and he said it, it was sort of like eating sewer gas. Oh, God. Uh, um, so <laughs> that does not sound good. I've not had it myself. I'm going to have to rely on my brother's claims. Um, but, uh, you know, of, of foods, I think there's plenty where I wouldn't have them again. Um, but, um, uh, again, I'll, I'll, you know, you know one, food, one food I actually won't have, which I, I don't tend to go for, is I don't like really strong alcohol because it, uh, uh, I don't like that burning sensation. Oh. Uh, and I love I love beer and wine. I just don't like you know like tequila or something. I just don't like the oh the hard the hard liquor. Yeah, I don't like the feel of my throat on fire. I don't um, either. That's not a very appealing type of yeah, feeling. Yes, that's I guess maybe that's the one that's the one thing where if, if I'm going out with friends and they, they're getting shots at a bar, I'll just have a a, a a glass of beer or a glass I'm sorry a glass of wine or a bottle of beer. Yeah. Um, I don't like I don't like that feeling. And I guess on the same level. 
Um, spicy food. Um, you know, I'll have a, if it's spicy food as part of something else, I'm fine. But I wouldn't eat spice just for itself because I don't like that. I don't like the feeling of a burning mouth just for its own purpose. I mean, that's um, how's that for that? So I'm okay with tastes. It's just I don't like the feeling of being on fire. Yeah, I don't think many people do. And Ben, when exactly is this next book going to be finished? If you have oh, a timeline a whatsoever. I've just started charting out. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you what, have me on, on the show in, in about a year and hopefully it'll be out by then, but I need to, I need to spend this summer working on it. Um, so my plan is to work on, on, on a book on religion and religion and food, um, for a popular audience, one that, um, you know, you have to be an academic to read that anyone can pick up and read and learn a bit about the topic. Um, and, you know, I, it, it is not that when I write for a popular audience, I don't talk down. You know, I, I think that, I think the popular audience is a smart audience. I don't think that having a PhD makes me smarter than anyone else. Um, so when I write for a popular audience, um, I don't dumb it down. I think that people are, are smart and they want to read good stuff. I just avoid all the sort of the extensive citations. They don't need to hear about, you know, what some French scholar wrote 20 years ago and how it disagrees with what some German guy wrote 10 years ago. You're making a lot of great points there, Ben. I try. You're doing a great job, and that's very true. I've talked to plenty of people with PhDs, and I question how they even acquired such a task. Well, yeah. Um, Just because you're smart uh, through education doesn't actually mean you're very smart. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Even though that sounds ridiculous, but there's been times where I've met people that are just extremely intelligent, intelligent, but in some other ways are just, they are just awful. And well, that's, yeah, a, that's think, a nice I, way of putting it. I think that it goes back to sort of our shared humanity that you know, just because you have books marked up doesn't necessarily mean that you're, um, that you're a, a smarter, more intelligent person and being able to complete a particular degree doesn't make you any better or smarter than anyone else. Uh, on the other hand, I do think that we're all different and some people have different skills. I mean, I'm, uh, I, I'm relatively tone deaf. I would never make a very good musician. Um, and on the other hand, I think I'm, I'm a pretty good and, and quick writer. So, I mean, um, obviously I could spend a lot of time trying to learn music and, and try to be better. And someone who's not a good writer could spend a lot of time practicing writing. So I think we can rise above our, our inborn limitations, but I, I also think that we all have our own, we have all have our, have our own quirks and that's fine. Yeah. We're all talented in our own unique ways, no doubt. And by the way, Ben, when I, uh, took that photo of you. I'm not sure if you've seen the banner, but I actually photoshopped, uh, your kids out of the photo. I, I hope you don't mind. Please tell your wife I'm sorry. Fine. Which, uh, which one is it? Hold on. Let me. It was um, on your Facebook page. Oh, you pulled up that one. Okay. Yeah. I'm pulling up your website right now. It was the, is only, it on the uh, yeah, it was the only clear photo of you and it was with your kids and I felt bad. I was oh, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh no, I'm going to cut the kids <laughs> off and it's good to cut the kids out. They're, uh, Let's let them make up their own minds and, and fates and not get them into all this quite yet. Exactly. A little too early. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but that's fine. Uh, I'll have to pull it up and look at it later oh, on. Ben, uh, by the way, I'm glad you mentioned that. And I, I hope this is not a topic that you don't want to discuss. But in regards to your kids, um, how are you going to introduce religion, if, if, if at all, uh, to your kids? Um, have you contemplated this? Oh, and then I just, I just saw the picture now. Yeah, that was a good Photoshop job there. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, you know, ultimately I think that, um, like, uh, like many people, you know, I, I want my kids to be able to decide for themselves when they're older what they're, what they want to believe in. I also, I, I want to respect that, but I also want to provide them the foundation of, um, where, uh, where we came from. Um, 
my spouse, my wife and I, my spouse and I, and you know where their their families have come from. So we we educate them, but ultimately uh, we let them make up. We'll let them make up their own minds about what they want to do. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's um, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, and I, I would, I would think that many, many parents want to do this. And I know there are people who, if you fervently, strongly believe that if you don't believe what you believe, you're going to go to hell. <laughs> I understand yes. why you want, you don't want your kids to go to hell. So why you'd want to convince them, you know, what they have to believe what, um, what you believe. But, um, you know, that way of thinking is so foreign to me. You know, the, um, I, I, at my heart, I'm certainly, I, I'm not a fundamentalist. I'm many things, but I'm no fundamentalist. And I've, um, I understand the appeal of fundamentalism. It's, it's certainty. Fundamentalists in every religion have certainty, right? They think, you know, it's my way or the highway. Correct. And if you believe that, I understand why you want to teach that to your kids. I've also seen, because I'm a college instructor, I'm a professor, I've seen what happens to those kids when they start thinking for themselves. And I don't think it's a pretty sect. It really isn't. It really isn't. I actually personally known plenty of people, uh, Jehovah Witnesses, who once they went out to the free world, um, things changed for them as soon as they got away from that. Their lives completely changed upside down. Well, not yes. all of them, but for some. Some of the the students and people I've known who have become had the most problems, you know, the hardest drinkers, the, the ones who really had trouble in school, were often people who were coming from a very confined, sort of closed-minded, almost fundamentalist sort of background, yeah. and they're exposed to the broader world in college or, or elsewhere, and and they discover that um, not everyone does believe what you believe, and not everyone does share your convictions, and you know, and you can't just dismiss it and say, well, I guess they're going to go to hell if there's someone you like, if they're a coworker, a friend, a family member, um, a teacher. Um, so yeah, I, I think that, uh, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. That's, you know, it's tough. Understood. And Ben, I do want to thank you tremendously for being a part of the program. I do not want to take too much of your time. It's I know a, you I, have. His, his stuck with it until then, but I feel it's starting to go. So I'm going to pop a lozenge here and probably head off before my voice totally. Yes, sir. Totally. Yeah, I know you have a course to teach in a bit here. So, again, I really appreciate the time you've spent with myself and the listeners out there. And, Ben, we will definitely have to touch base again in the near future. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, and, and, and I'd like to do that again. I'm working on a religion and food book. I'm also working on another religion and, and UFO book. So love it. Love it. I'm sure we'll have chances to, to talk in the future. And I'm always happy to hear from you or your listeners. Hell yes, Ben. Well, once again, thank you, my friend. And we'll do it again very shortly. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Clockwise. Mahalo. And there goes Ben Zeller. Great guest. I hope you have enjoyed today's special broadcast. Very early broadcast, I should say. And my God, it's been an incredible ride. I do want to thank Ben Zeller for being a part of the program. Fantastic guest. And I do appreciate all of you out there who tuned in today. It's been fun. If you are listening to this on a replay, keep in mind... You can always listen on the TuneIn Radio app, search End of Days, and you'll find the 24-7 network, or go to michaeldeacon.com for any episode you might have missed. I'm Michael Deacon. Thank you all for joining me here on this journey. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were giving me like bullshit. Like you can just see it. It's clear. <laughs> How appropriate. I wish I could be in that ring with Hogan right now.
It's crazy. I had no idea this shit existed before 726.